everyone. Hope you've had a great week. Thanks for tuning into our podcast and hope it encourages you, inspires you as you go about your week. Here's today's message. Is wrong and there's wrong, okay? You know what I mean? Some things seem worse than others, don't they? And there are, there are things too that happen and even really bad things that happen, but they, they're kind of like once-offs. They're, you know, we use the phrase out of character. But there are also things that happen repeatedly. They're repeated wrongs, like patterns of behavior. And you're thinking straight away when Jeff's talking patterns of behavior, you're thinking serial killers and pedophiles and terrorists. And sure, they're patterns of behavior, but there are patterns of behavior all over ordinary life as well. I'm sure there's some of that in my life. I, like I, I know enough now in my, in my 50s looking back and by the way to having having had a lot of help to do that I know for instance that I've got some destructive core beliefs we all have core beliefs every person has them we have core beliefs about people we have core beliefs about the world we have core beliefs about ourselves. I know I've got some really destructive core beliefs about myself. They're, they're, they're things, they're things, core beliefs are things that I think and they're at the deepest level of thinking. And I think those about myself. Now, no doubt at all, there are patterns of behavior that, that, that run through my history. So yeah, over the course of my life, I've done some wrong things. One or two. I've done some bad things, I've made some unwise decisions, I've invested in some unhealthy relationships, but then it's like, do you get this? It's like there can be a banner over these things. And so what I've done, and maybe you have too, like I've, I've worked really hard and there's a long, long way to go yet, with help to identify those patterns that are in me and then identifying them half the battle one, but then we have to be able to, and I need to be able to then address them. And then thank God, with his help, I've already made a, like a heap of progress. He's, he's making me beautiful and whole. He's not done with me yet. And I'm not done living for him. So I wonder then what patterns you have. Like what are the just think of things that are patterns in people. Things like pride, doubt, rejection, poor self. Sorry, I, I said pride. That's on the next slide. But this one, doubt, rejection, poor self-esteem, abandonment. You know, when, when, when you see those deeply ingrained patterns, whether it's in you or someone else. Or you think of things like pride. We can all be proud from time to time, but you know when you when you just got that theme of pride that seems to it seems to stand out. Stubbornness. <laughs> you know anyone who's 
got a pattern of behavior of stubbornness. It wouldn't be you. It wouldn't be you. It would be someone who you know. Someone who's got a victim mentality. Defeatism. You, you know that, that pattern that's in some of us of defeatism. I'm always, I'm always a victim. I'm always being defeated. What's in your family line? Strong generational patterns reproduce themselves. They do, friends, often, frighteningly often, through families. And you see things that run through families. And often, not always, but often, there'll be things that run through family lines. And you see it from generation to generation. Sometimes it skips a generation, but things like suicide, like divorce, adultery, immorality, those things that repeat themselves again and again. And abuse. How many abusers were abused? And addiction. You ever wondered about it all? And we sing, in a few minutes, we sing, I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break. We sing in there declaring there's hope and there's freedom over these things. Because your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. We sing. We ask Him as we sing, break every stronghold. every stronghold. Shine through the shadows, burn like the fire over the patterns that are in us. And I know we joke and, and you identified patterns in other people, we all probably did. But the patterns that are in us, the patterns that are in me, the patterns that are in you. Those patterns, things like doubt and fear and rejection and the family generational repetitions. A stronghold, you know what a stronghold is? The English definition of a stronghold, there it is, a place that has been fortified, a place that has been fortified so as to prevent it from attack or against attack. Or it can also mean a place where a particular cause or belief is strongly defended or upheld, a stronghold. So these things, these strongholds that are in people and they're in families and they're in churches and they're in organizations, there are strongholds, these things that are more than once-offs. You know, the things that I said, I've done the wrong thing, I've done bad things, I've made unwise decisions. I've invested in unhealthy relationships, but, but the strongholds, they're bigger than the naughty. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're worse than the naughty, but they're bigger, they're different. Again, they're sown into us. Oftentimes they come from childhood. They come from trauma, from grief. They come from exposure to things like the occult. 
as well. So you think about a stronghold, like the definition, it's a place, we're told, like a stronghold, it's been fortified to protect it against attack. And the strongholds in your life, your family, your church, the stronghold fortified to protect it from truth. Fortified to protect it from cleansing, from healing, or from, as we sing about, freedom and hope and wholeness. Fortified to keep it dark so no light can shine in. You see, a stronghold, don't mess with it because it's there to stay. It's not going anywhere. And that's the way strongholds talk. Met this family many years ago, uh, nothing to do with this church, nothing at all to do with this church. Um, and, um, and we got to know them and, and the, the mother and father of the family at the time, I'm thinking late 50s, early 60s, the mother had um, just recently been exposed in an extramarital affair, one that she, she, she'd had an affair that had lasted for 14 years. It had finished four years earlier, but it had lasted for 14 years. And then we got to know the family and got to know her son. Um, and he was in his, just a young guy, younger than me in his second marriage and his first marriage had ended um, through adultery unfaithfulness and then got to know just at one stage then their daughter so this guy's sister who had um, had again had an affair um, that had resulted in another marriage breakup she had had an affair with a married guy that had resulted in that marriage breaking up and and she'd now had a child um, with someone else um, with, with with no partner I was just looking at us thinking Mark, like there's there's something that repeats itself all the way through this. You know, a stronghold, the, the voice is, I've got hold of you. I'm not letting go. This is entrenched. This is locked in. This is the way it'll always be. I was with my friends last night um, and... And again, nothing, nothing to do with the church. Don't, don't worry about that. Um, and uh, the, the son-in-law, um, married man, couple of kids in his late 30s, addicted, addicted to methamphetamine. And he's just been in, um, he's been in rehab several times, just came out of rehab not so long back. And he's just, now he's going back into rehab today or tomorrow come out of rehab, started using drugs again, back into rehab. I can't break this. What hope have I got? You know, when you feel like you're just a passenger. And, and don't, think, don't think for a moment that a stronghold has to be like scandalous or like really, really bad. A stronghold can, can just be a dark manner. 
or a habit of thinking. See what you think on this from God's word. Ephesians chapter six, the apostle Paul says this, a final word he says at the end of his letter to the church at Ephesus. Be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. Why would I say that, he says, well, for. In other words, here's why I just said what I said. I told you to be strong, here's why. Because we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. Fact. But instead of fighting against them, we're actually fighting against the evil rulers and authorities of the, of the unseen world. The unseen world. We're fighting not just against them, but we're fighting against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. You get the idea from those verses that the Apostle Paul says there's a huge, almighty, momentous, cosmic battle going on. And there in the middle of that battle, is little old you and little old me. It's a picture of the reality of life. So you and I, just finite creatures, even the smartest of, I was gonna say of us, that means I'm one of them, the smartest of you, two-dimensional minds that can only think in certain directions and with limited capacity, We've got eyes, if we have eyesight, that's okay, then we're eyes that, that see what's in front of us. We've got memories that remember what we know of what's behind us. We've got ears that, that hear what's around us. And we've got minds that conceive and perceive and, and, and we interpret. Like, so we, we, we conceive, we perceive what we see, what we hear, what we remember, and then we interpret it. We put our explanation on it through our filter. And then especially in our Western culture, it's not so true in other cultures, but in our Western culture, we don't envisage anything else beyond what we see and hear and conceive and perceive. We just think it's all what we see. Look what God says though. He says, he's a fact, we're not, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Now, fighting, don't, don't think in there. We don't have to mean like a, a punch-up or a shootout. Fighting doesn't have to be fighting. But, but if, you, if you put the word there, we're not struggling against flesh and blood. We're not, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're not trying to make sense of flesh and blood. But actually, the thing that we're really, you know, because, because we think we are, but actually it's against the, look at the words, the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. We don't see it against the mighty powers of darkness who rule 
the world, against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. And all of those, Paul just used those words, he said they're the strategies and the tricks of the devil. Now, strategies and tricks, that's just one word in the Greek language, methodias. We obviously get our English word method from that. It means something that's a systematic procedure. Or it can also mean a, a while, W-I-L-E, in other words, a trick. And it's the methodeus of the devil. Devil, the word for devil is used here, Greek word diabolos or diabolos. Do you know, it literally means, it's made up of two words, and so it, it literally means, you hear the word devil? What does it mean? The accuser within. So they're the strategies and tricks, the methods the wiles, the systematic procedures that are used by the accuser within. Whoa. So as a premise, here's what I suggest to you, as a premise, if you just accept that from Ephesians chapter six, if you accept that, even, even just for now, just for the next few minutes, all right, just let's assume that's all true. I don't know whether you believe that or not, but let's just assume it is. In other words, we're going to assume for a minute now, we do not just, just live in a, in a world that, that we can see and hear and conceive and perceive and remember and interpret. We actually live in a world that's part of an unseen world and it's mighty powerful. assume that's true then like me you're probably saying no wonder we have strongholds so follow on from that now all right hang in with me for a minute look what the apostle paul says in another one of his letters this is what this is to the christians at corinth look what he said he said we are human but we don't wage war with human plans and methods we use, in other words, instead, instead of human methods and weapons, instead of that, we use God's mighty weapons. Not mere worldly weapons. We use them to knock down the devil's strongholds. The devil's strongholds, we could use the word fortresses there as well. The Greek word means a fortress or a stronghold. And so it's just like that definition that we saw earlier, that's our English definition of stronghold, but, but it's used here as a metaphor. So you know a metaphor, it's a picture. So it's a picture, like if a stronghold is a place that's fortified to protect it against attack, then that's the picture of a stronghold in your life and my life. So the devil then, what he says, because he's, you know, like he's talking about the devil's strongholds. So let's just say, the devil takes the addiction, for instance. The devil takes the way of thinking. The devil takes the pattern of behavior. The devil takes the generational pattern. He takes the core belief, he takes the ingrained repetitive failure. 
And what he does is he builds a stronghold around it so that it's protected. But protected against truth and light and freedom and healing and wholeness. And he loves it. He loves it. So if we speak Jesus, if we speak Jesus over fear and all anxiety, you know what happened to me on the way here this morning? Um, I was listening to a, a message on a podcast and it finished not far down the road. I had time probably just for one song. So I just said to my, my phone, I said, hey Siri, play me some music. Guess what song came on my Spotify? I speak the name of Jesus. That, like it, like I got, I got hundreds of, oh, is my phone saying, hey Siri now? Oh, okay. Is it playing some music? Is it, is it playing, I speak the name of Jesus? You're kidding me. We ought to take notice of that. Seriously, this morning, like I just said, just play me some music. That's all I said. Oh, and it said, do you want me to play music on Apple Music or Spotify? I said, play it on Spotify. And then it started, I speak the name of Jesus. And then it did just now. So if we're going to speak the name of Jesus, friends, and hey, let's be fair and give about this. Everything else can be... Everything else can be also ran. Everything else can be poor. But if we're gonna speak the name of Jesus, you think we're gonna sing it in a minute, over fear and all anxiety. If ever there were strongholds in lives, fear, anxiety. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Some addictions are obvious. Some addictions are hidden. There are people here who are addicted and no one knows. And if we're gonna declare that there's hope and there's freedom, if we're gonna speak Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, if we're gonna speak Jesus for my family, how does that work? Now, Jesus, does anyone remember from the last two weeks, because we've had this, anyone remember, like, and, and don't, don't put that slide up just yet, please, Ina, you just wait, because people will cheat if you put that up now. Who can remember, and just yell out, does anyone remember what the name of Jesus means? God is with us, that's the second part, that's what God does, and what's the name actually, the name itself mean? It's the, it's the Hebrew alliteration. God saves, thank you, or Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus means. God saves, God is with us. So look at this. Um, what have I done here? Sorry, I know, I skipped a, skipped a page there. Just look at Jesus with me, all right? Take a look at this. Colossians chapter two, look at this. We're gonna start with what he's done. If we're saying that Jesus saves in the strongholds. Look at this, you were dead, Good news, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. Paul is speaking to people who know Jesus. Here's what he's done. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and he destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. 
in this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. Look at this, the predicament of all the people. He says there, you, you, you were dead. So if you know Jesus, you were dead because of your sins and your sinful nature, so your sins, the things that you did, the naughties, right? But your sinful nature, the deep part, that was not yet cut away. Dead, it doesn't mean physically dead because you weren't physically dead yet, were you? You're still alive. It's talking about people who exist in the sphere or the realm of spiritual dead. So to be spiritually dead because of sin, it means to be devoid of any sense, unable to respond to spiritual stimuli. It's like someone, say someone is physically dead, then I can knock them on the head, I can pinch their earlobe, but they won't respond. You see, to be spiritually dead, it's to be so locked in the grasp of sinfulness and sin that it's actually impossible to respond to God. Now, when Jesus died, he died for a whole world of people, people like us, all people, even people who hadn't lived at the time that he died. Even people like us who are living two and a bit thousand years down the track, people who were dead, they'd been made as people in the image of God, people who absolutely need God to experience life as they were designed to experience it, people who, like St. Augustine said, whose hearts are restless until they find rest in God. People who, like Blaise Pascal, French physicist said, inside them there's a God-shaped vacuum, there's a hole that nothing else can properly fill. People who turn every corner and try every conceivable method to experience joy and purpose and significance and security in life. People who spend their whole life saying what Mick Jagger sung, he said, I can't get no satisfaction. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. Dead. And if you're dead, you can't do anything about being dead. That's the end of the road. You can't help yourself. So we're speaking Jesus. Look what he did when he died, friends. God, through Jesus, made dead people live. God made you, if you know Jesus, he made you alive with Christ. Who who is Jesus? People, including me and you too. People who are hopelessly spiritually dead, which means life here and now on planet Earth is is only just this dim reflection of what it could be. And these people who are not just dead now, but they're on a one-way track to hell. By the very act of Jesus willingly going to the cross and being punished for crimes and sins that he did not commit, God reached down out of heaven and set up the most amazing transaction that's ever been thought of, let alone carried out. He took you and me, he he took us, spiritual corpses, unable to hear or perceive or think of God, wallowing in sin and sinfulness, being sinned against, and just marking time until the inevitable death occurs and then hell beckons. And he used his only son's agonizing death to breathe new life into us. Now, I'm going to go to the grave trying to get my finite mind around that. 
as sin was dealt with in my life, he gave me the chance to come back to spiritual life. Similar words in Romans chapter 5, again from the Apostle Paul to describe the same thing. Some of the most amazing words ever written. He said, you see, at just the right time when we people, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God, in other words, maybe you might give your life if someone's really good, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, God saves. God's with us. Look what he did. He, he forgave people's sins after he made dead people live it says there in those verses from Colossians we read he forgave us all our sins forgave comes from the word charis in the Greek language we get the word charity from that it's it's used to describe unconditionally doing a person a favor and charis also means grace the point of it all is that God's forgiveness here graciously, and, and by graciously, that just means that we did nothing to deserve it. Did nothing to deserve it, but what he does is he remits or he pardons or he excuses our sin. And you know why? He does that just because he chooses to. And he chooses to do it just because he loves us. With Jesus' death on the cross, all the wrongs, so all those few little wrong, bad things that I told you that I did, all the wrong I ever did or thought or said or even wondered about, plus my nature that made it just a straightforward way for me to be that way and the nature that let all those strongholds get built. Plus my journey now in this, in this mixed up, sin-stained, imperfect, disaster-ridden world. Every bit of that was taken care of when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus said it just before he was arrested and then taken away and crucified. He actually said to his friends, it's in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. He said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now what's fascinating to look at, if we go back to these verses in Colossians, if you're following on, if you look at the Greek language again, a literal reading of that language, he actually says they're having forgiven us all the trespasses. So when it says having forgiven us, it's written in the Greek perfect tense. And what that means is that this act of forgiveness, even though it was 2000 years ago, do you know what it means? It's a past completed once for all action. It is completely and utterly done. There is nothing more that could be done for it. That's what the perfect tense indicates. And it covers everything. So you think about it, you were dead, hopeless, helpless, doomed to an eternity without God and to life here on earth without God, unable to do anything about it, lost forever, and then God, just because he chose to, just because he loves you, sent his perfect son to die. And as he died, he gave you the opportunity to have life again. And he wiped out once and for all, never to be revisited. Your sin, 
and your sinfulness and everything that that means. But there's more though. If you look at verse 14, and here Paul illustrates just how God forgave us. Now, just, just ask God right now, ask God even to grip you anew with the enormity of what this means. I wanna read it to you from the New American Standard version of the Bible because for this verse, it's a really good translation of the Greek language. Look at this. It says there at the end of verse 13, having forgiven us all our tr- transgressions, our sins. Now, here's Paul's illustration. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So somehow or other on the cross, Jesus canceled out this certificate of debt. Now in the ancient world, if I owed you money, I was at your mercy. Quite often, especially if it dragged on and I was having trouble paying, then what you'd actually do is you'd write out a certificate which acknowledged my debt to you and I'd be forced to sign it. I'd accept liability. So here, Paul says, when we were dead, at just the time Christ died, every single one of us had a certificate of debt too. And this certificate consisted, it says in verse 14, it consisted of decrees against us and it was hostile to us. You know what that means? Literally, it was a death warrant. It was saying that you could never possibly measure up. It's a death warrant. A legally binding document. But Jesus cancelled it out. And remember, okay, it's a past action, cancelled out. It literally means that it was wiped off. If I had a blackboard here and we wrote in chalk on it, it would literally get a duster and wipe it off and there's nothing left. That's what it means. Jesus did that to the piece of paper, to the death warrant, naming me and ordering my eternal spiritual and physical death. And for no other reason than that he chose to because he loves me. He wiped it off. And you see that powerful dramatic language, he nailed it to the cross. Not a trace of that death warrant remains. And look at this, he defeated Satan because we speak Jesus over every stronghold and every fortress, over generational patterns and addictions and patterns of behavior and destructive core beliefs. Here's the full brunt of Jesus' death. It says there he disarmed the powers of and authorities, he disarmed Satan, and that literally means he stripped him, took away his power, and that includes his power to build strongholds and imprison you in them. Jesus stripped Satan and his followers and messages of their ultimate authority over your life and my life. And he didn't stop there. After he'd done that, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. How's that? Powerful imagery. Jesus, God saves. God is with us. Restoring people, giving hope and dignity and love to people, fixing up the the awful, painful, tragic realities of life, filling the vacuum inside of me that could only ever be filled by him. That's his work. And, And when he died, he once and for all removed Satan's power to hinder and destroy it. So do you get the picture? On the one hand, he's a God who made you, who's desperate to be in an intimate, loving, life giving relationship with you but he can't because you're so hopelessly 
spiritually dead and sinful. And on the other hand then, while that's all going on, there's Satan who is rejoicing because you can't be God's friend. He's actually masquerading, he's tricking you, he's deceiving you as a good guy in your life, but who really is totally committed to your downfall and misery. And he wants you with him forever in hell. So then God steps into history, sends his own perfect son and allows him to die. How's that? We're going to just celebrate for a moment here, communion. You know, we, we celebrate communion regularly here at church. What better time to do that now than um, just in the quietness, if you'd like to, you don't have to. You don't have to. You can just stay where you are if you prefer. But if you'd like to, to, to come forward, there's a table at the back as well, to take um, bread as a symbol of Jesus' body and to take juice as a symbol of his blood and to say thank you to him. And as we finish doing that, We'll tie this together and we're going to pray for him to break some strongholds as we speak the name of Jesus. Why don't you do that? Just feel free in the quietness. You don't have to remember. Feel free to come forward and take communion or at the back as well. Thank you. thank Jesus for, for his death for us um, as we've just looked at there now as we thank him for that we're, we're going to just finish our time together to, to speak the name of Jesus again to, to sing that, that beautiful song as we do that 
what will we do to break strongholds? What would you do to break strongholds in your life? Here's a couple of suggestions. If you just skip forward in those slides, please, um, Ina, right towards the end, to break the strongholds we're after. Here's what we do. We pray. We, we, we pray to break strongholds. Um, and when we pray there, how are you going there, Ina? Can you find that there? Right towards the end. Keep going. Keep going. There we go. To break the strongholds, we pray. Okay? We pray. And here's how we pray to break strongholds. We, we pray with others. It's good to pray by yourself, but it's good to pray with others about these things. And a lot of the time, too, with strongholds, I, I'm not one who believes that there's some sort of magical formula that you have to do or there's certain people you have to go to or words that you have to say. I don't think Jesus designs, designs it to be that complicated for us. But to pray with gifted intercessors is really helpful as well. It won't do you any harm, all right? So we pray, uh, we pray with others, we pray with gifted intercessors, and we don't just start out by, by saying, you know, make this stronghold better. We ask for understanding and insight too. We ask for eyes to be able to see into the unseen and to see things that we haven't seen before. And that's where some people are just really good at guiding us in, in the sorts of things to ask for and the sorts of things to think about. And we claim authority over those strongholds and then we make specific requests. Please, Jesus, remove this stronghold. Please shatter this stronghold in the name of Jesus. We do that because Jesus saves and God is with us. So, friends, what we want to do now for a little while is we're going to sing. Um, we're, we're close to our normal finishing time. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. But, but just for the next, next few minutes, we're going to sing this song, I Speak the Name of Jesus. Um, we will not just sing the words, but declare the words. Declare the words. As we've had the last several weeks, um, we'll have um, some of our pastors and elders as well. Um, there'll be some of us that are down the front. You'll see us there, Pastor Adam and myself uh, and Sammy. Um, and then probably up the back there will be Todd, who was up on the stage earlier. Um, our elders, Velma, maybe, maybe Velma or Jenny, one of our elders, could come down and be down the front as well and one up the back. And then Ian's here as part of our prayer team. And is that... I think that, is that all, Sammy? Probably. And you'll notice those guys up the back because they'll be there and, and you'll be able to find them. Come let us pray for you. Um, and, and you don't have to come to us to grab someone else who's with you praying for you. I've loved that the last few weeks. Uh, I've seen all sorts of people praying for each other. Let's, and we can pray simple prayers today. We speak the name of Jesus over the strongholds. Okay. And remember, the strongholds don't have to be really scandalous or bad or big. Um, they can be things that are completely hidden and no one else even knows. You may not even know about them fully yet. Um, but let's pray together. So while we're singing, we're going to speak the name of Jesus. While we're singing, please come grab us. And, and look, and, and we've talked about this this week too, for the Holy Spirit just to be able to lead those people who are praying. If, if, if they're feeling that they're led by the Spirit to do that, they may actually walk around and actually 
pray for some people. Now, let's just say, if, if you did see someone coming towards you and you thought they're going to pray for me, you do not have to let them do it, okay? All you've got to do is just, like, just put your hand up or something like that, just so they know. Like the last thing on earth we want to do is make anyone feel conspicuous or awkward. And, and we'll, I, I don't think we will, but, but like just in case it happens by accident, all you've got to do is just, just give a little signal, no, 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 it's okay, don't have to pray for me, and they won't, all right? So, so no one feels awkward, no one feels bad or embarrassed. Let's speak the name of Jesus, hand to the team, we're going to sing it a few times, stand up with us, and we'll speak the name of Jesus together. Come, get some prayer while we're singing, um, and then be, be alert to be able to pray for other people too. Let's do that together, we'll speak the name of Jesus.